You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Good morning. I'm Curtis Arnold, serve as one of the elders here. And I'll be reading the scripture this morning. Um, it's located on page 941 in the chairback Bible in, in front of you. And if you don't have a good version of a Bible at home, feel free to take that one as a gift from us to you. The first three verses of Hebrews 1, I'll be actually reading through verse 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. This is God's word. It is true. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are God who loves to communicate truth to us, and we have that in your word today. Father, would you just open the scriptures to us as Jeremy brings uh, the preaching. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to lean in to this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Thank you, Curtis. I've heard it said that all religions are the same. Maybe you've heard that too. All religions are the same. So it goes that that every sincere religious follower is on a path up a mountain to God. And whatever path you are on, it's going to lead you to the top. There, there's this old saying, medieval times, all, all roads lead to Rome. And, and I guess it's that idea, but applied to spirituality. All paths are, are they may be different, but, but it's just different places on the mountain. And they all are going to end up at the top. If you're on the path, you're on, we're, all, we're all on different paths up the same mountain. That's the idea. But is it true? Do you believe every religion is basically the same? There's different paths up the same mountain. There's this interesting interaction in the book of Acts where Paul goes to talk to some folks uh, at the Areopagus who are Epicureans and Stoics. So 2,000 years ago, if you were an Epicurean, you were all about pleasure. You just did whatever you wanted to. I mean, it smells a lot like hedonism to me. Like whatever you, you desire, you just go after that. That's Epicureans. Uh, maybe you've noticed we have some of those in our modern day. <laughs> uh, Epicureans, so he's talking to them. And, and, and then also Stoics. He's talking to Stoics, which Stoics are all about virtue and, and denying the flesh. In some ways, these are like carbon copies of each other going different versions. And so, so he's talking to them as well and, and, and calling them to consider the gospel of Jesus. And the Epicureans and the Stoics there in Acts 17, they're like, man, this is interesting. You want to come back next week? We ought to, we ought to talk about this a little bit 
more, and I'm just curious in view of those ancient types of religions that still seem to be quite active in our modern day, do we really believe both of those things are really identical up the same mountain? Would we really grant that a person who goes, man, I just say yes to any pleasure I think about, is really a legitimate path up the mountain, as is the person who goes, I will deny myself. And, and, and both of those are equal to Christianity? Our culture is undoubtedly trying to convince everyone that all religions are basically the same. That's what our culture is pushing. And if our culture had a statement of faith, I would argue one of the only essentials that it would have in its statement of faith is tolerance. You are welcome to believe anything you want so long as you tolerate everybody else. But don't you dare be one of those fundamental evangelicals who reads God's word and thinks Jesus is the only way of salvation. You're off limits. I've seen a bumper sticker, so perhaps have you, that says coexist with all the different religious symbols on it. I think, okay, Mr. Mrs. Driver, I, shots fired. This morning we begin a new sermon series in the book of Hebrews. And I confess that when Justin Hamilton, one of the elders here at Mill Creek, came to me and said, hey, my small group has been walking through Hebrews and it's awesome and you should totally preach it. I got real nervous and intimidated because this book is beefy. There's so much Old Testament. I mean, I've got mine just open up here because we're going to jump in it here in a second. And, and you can just see from the way that the editor has put it for us, there is so many times that, that he is just jumping into the Old Testament back and talking. Old Testament back and talking. And, and, and I, find, I, I know we preached through the book of Luke not long ago, and Luke has a lot of Old Testament. But Luke was, at least for me, aimed at like the third grader. And I could get Luke. At least I could with just a few minutes. But man, Hebrews feels like this is the deep end. And there's some dense and challenging argumentation that happens in Hebrews. But now, having worked through Hebrews at the big level, at, at the macro level, the team and I, we've worked through this, and I'm so excited about what Hebrews has for us. Now, there's more work to be done at the micro level, and we're going we're gonna to take this book, we're going to walk through it piece by piece, and it'll take us six or nine months to get through it. And, and I have more work to do at the micro level. But now that I get what is happening in the big picture of Hebrews, it has moved for me from black and white TV to high def. Now, now I, I suppose there's people in here who go, uh, I've, not, I've not known anything except high def. So what in the world are you talking about? That I remember as a kid, small little TVs with little bunny ears on it. And, and I mean... Some iPhones are bigger than the screen on that TV that I grew up in, right? And, 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 and it's grainy, and it's like, I think I see something. And, and somebody holds up, oh, stand like this, and we can get reception. That works really good. That was the black and white thing. And, and then the first time I, I like walked into the, the, the superstore to see the high-def TV, it's just like, I would just stand there. It's like they have an aquarium thing. It's like, this is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. And, and, and that's, over the course of this sermon series, maybe even this morning, what I want to give you a little picture of. I'd love if when you walked out of here, you went, oh, oh, that's what Hebrews is? And that's what it's been to me, and that's what I hope happens today. Because what, what we have in common with Hebrews, 
Undoubtedly, there's lots that is different from this little church 2,000 years ago, but what we have in common with them is a cultural pressure to soften our view of Christ. That's the problem that this book is written into. A cultural pressure to soften our view of Christ. They were being tempted with cultural accommodation toward a Christless religion. And in case you've missed it recently, we are facing the same pressure. You can be religious, just don't be Christian. This morning then, in this sermon, it's going to be a little different because I'm going to do two things. I'm going to first set up context for this book, drawing from different sources and places in Hebrews to help you get a pick, feel of like, oh, that's what's going on for them. And then we're going to introduce it, focusing on those first three verses. So this morning's sermon, a little different because we're going to do context and then we're going to do table of contents because that's what the first three verses are. Of course, that's a modern way of putting it. If you looked at the text, it's like, well, I don't see a table of contents there with page numbers, but that's the equivalent of what our preacher's going to do. Um, like a symphony, for those of you who like classical music and like to go to the orchestra hall, good symphonies have an overture that begins a musical piece. And in those overtures, you hear little hints of different melodies that will then come later on in the work. That's what our author is doing in verses one to three. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, would you open to Hebrews 1, 1 to 3. Put your finger in there. First, I want to give you some context. We're going to get in there. So first, if you're taking notes, context. Context. If we could pick, peek in on this Hebrew congregation, they are uh, probably meeting in a small house. There's probably 20 or 30 of them, and it's somewhere in the 60s A.D., Somewhere in the 60s AD, house church in Rome. And, and virtually everyone agrees that this little church, they all grew up Jewish. And so the, the, the religious system of their culture would have included temple and sacrifices and the Day of Atonement and, and Sabbath and high priests and everything that accompanies the Old Testament religious system. All of these people in the church, they grew up with that. That's what mom and dad believed. That's what grandparents believed. I mean, some of them probably had lineage all the way back to the 12 tribes. And yet, here they are now living in a different city. They're in Rome. So it's 60 AD, small group who had grown up in the Old Testament religious system, what we call Judaism. And they would have deeply believed the Old Testament. They would have totally committed themselves to God's word, Genesis to Malachi. So when these people in Rome heard the message of the gospel, which we know from Acts 2, disciples got up after Jesus' resurrection. They're in Acts 2, Pentecost. Some from Rome had come for the feast of Pentecost. And the disciples get up and they start preaching and saying, Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Some in Rome were there. Some of them believed they went back to their little synagogue they shared the gospel. People in the synagogue heard the gospel. That led to belief in the gospel. And then they had to leave synagogue because they're no longer Judea. They're no longer Jewish religiously. They're now Christian. Of course, true Judaism in the Old Testament is Christian, but there were some who go, no, I don't, I don't believe that Christ is Messiah. And these people did. And they'd been a little church for about 30 years then. Okay? 30 years. 
and early in the life of this little church there in Rome, they faced persecution. See, in Rome, if you were Jewish, you were a protected religious minority. Legally, the local government protected those who were Jews. Christians had no such protection. Early there in Rome, there, was, uh, there were folks who might have wanted to persecute and leave, leave the Jews to suffer, but they couldn't legally. For these Christians, though, they had left that protected umbrella to become Christian. And Hebrews 10 tells us that early as a church, they had their property taken and they joyfully were persecuted. Some of them thrown in church and, and they kept getting together, perhaps on a Sunday morning going, hey man, I lost everything this week. And the church would go, bless the name of the Lord. He's worth it. And they said, you bet he's worth it. And, 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 and get this, they're getting it both ways because not only is culture of Rome pushing them like a lot of us feel in our culture, the, the, the culture hated them, but so did their former friends and family. See, understand, in, in this way, they may be very close to Muslims. When, when a Muslim comes to faith in Jesus Christ, they have to say goodbye to all their friends and family, all their community. They're totally excommunicated. They don't come to Thanksgiving, so to speak. They're out at Christmas. That's what it costs them. And these little Christians are getting it both ways, both culturally from Rome, but also from their family. They're persecuted. They're suffering, and that's the first challenge that's going on in Hebrews. It's been 30 years of this, and at first they were like, rah, rah. But after a while, after 30 years of it, I think they're going, man, is there another option here? Did, did we miss the fine print somewhere? Because this is, this is hard. If you're taking notes, you might want to write that down. Challenge number one, suffering and persecution. A second challenge for this Hebrew church was that they were struggling to know, how do I deal with ongoing sin? Okay, if you're a Christian here, this may kind of leave you going, huh? But, but for them, they didn't have the New Testament like we have it. And, and they'd been baptized, but after baptism, get this, they still sinned. And in Christianity, they're trying to go, okay, what do I do with that? Like, like I know that, that before Jesus, I had all these sins and I trust that Jesus took those away. But what about my sins today? And what about my sins tomorrow? See, remember where they came out of. They came out of the Jewish system that is sacrificing animals every single day and week. I mean, if you're a Jew, one of the things you've got going for you is you know there is sin. Those poor little sheep. Bye-bye, Lammy. I really liked you. You'll be dying today because of my sin too. Oh, look, goats, bulls, all dead. In the Jewish system, there are sights and sounds and smells that remind you that God is holy and we are sinners. And there's even this once a year day of atonement in the Old Testament where nobody eats anything, nobody works, and they just wait for the high priest to go before God and he has to keep offering sacrifices year after year. And he can't even go in there before he does sacrifices for himself, but then they all wait to make sure he comes out alive and you know they tie the rope on him because if he dies, because of whatever wrong he did, they gotta drag him out. Ain't nobody going in there. And that's Jewish system. And, and what they had that the newest newish Christian church was lacking is, oh, we know we're sinners and we have all of this ritual, ceremonial reminders that, that our ever-present sin is being paid for. And in the new church, they didn't know what to do about that. I got real mad at my wife the other day, somebody might say in that church, and I sinned. And I said I was sorry, but I feel bad. How do I find 
any resolution for my guilt and shame. Is, is Jesus' sacrifice enough? Here then the second challenge for this little church. They're thinking to themselves, how do I find, how do I find forgiveness for my sin? I need to resolve the guilt and sin and shame in my heart. These two challenges, so significant to this little church, and how discouraging was it that after 30 years of facing the external suffering and, and the internal tension, how discouraging that some in that small little church, there's only 20 or 30 of them, some of them had started to leave, and they had started to return to Judaism. So, so they show up, they, they worship together, and, and all of a sudden, those, man, that, we loved that family, and that family said, it's too hard, man, I'm going back. Because perhaps some of them thinking, Judaism and Christianity is kind of similar. You know, maybe, maybe Judaism and Christianity is, is all going up the same mountain. And, and at least if I go back to Judaism, I can have something to do with my guilt and shame. And I don't have to do all this suffering and persecution. I get to go home for Christmas again. We can appreciate the pressures and tensions. And as it turns out, this little church has a pastor. And this pastor is trying his darndest to care for his little flock. We don't know who the pastor is. Some think it might be Apollos. Some think it might be Luke. Others wonder if it's Barnabas. I've become convinced that the pastor of this little church is not Paul. But this little pastor, whoever he is, we don't know. Doesn't actually matter at the end of a, 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 a for our purposes this morning. That pastor... He's got some sensitivity of what's going on in his church, but he had left, he had left and he was away from his church when all of these things started to really come to a head. And, and somehow he got a message, perhaps from an elder or congregate in his church that said, hey, this last Sunday, it's going down. Because out of those 20 or 30, we've already lost a couple, but evidently some of the key families in the church have said, this is my last Sunday, I'm going to Judaism. And the pastor goes, well, I can't... <laughs> I can't catch a red eye and be home to preach. So he decides to write a sermon. And that's what the book of Hebrews is. A sermon written to a little church who is struggling with external persecution, struggling with an internal challenge of how to re resolve their guilt by a pastor who's not there in person. Do you know that it was a sermon? I don't feel bad if you didn't. I didn't either. I'm just like you, just studying, trying to understand. But that is actually what the letter is to Hebrews. Different than 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy, different than Revelation. This is to be read from chapter 1-1 one, one to 13-25 in the gathered little church there on the Sunday when it's all going down. And if you read it, beginning to end, it would take 45 minutes which is a backwards way of saying you're welcome that I don't take that long. <laughs> for anyone wondering, is there biblical precedent for a 45-minute sermon? There is. In this sermon, we can see the deep love that the pastor has for his people. And what he's going to do is help these people who were steeped in the Old Testament, he's going to help them go and understand from the Old Testament Jesus is superior. He's going to plead with them 
Don't go back. You can't go back. To, to leave Christianity for Judaism is to leave the superior for the inferior. It's to leave the substance for the shadow. You can't go back. You can't leave. Christ is superior. And that is the subtitle of the entire series we're in. Christ is superior. Christ is superior. For any of you who wanted extra credit or thought, hey, I'd like a little more robust, filled out book and a sentence, Pastor. Three words is nice, but give me the goods. Here's one for you if you want to write it down. Here is what I and the team call the book in a sentence. Christ is superior. That's easy to put on a little flyer. And that's true. Here is the entire book in a sentence. This is, this is what I'm saying. Our author is arguing. Christless religion, though tempting, is empty. Christless religion, though tempting, is empty. So hold fast to Christ and hold fast to his church because he is superior. Extra credit to those of you who wrote that down. And here then is why this matters so much for us today. We face the cultural pressure to leave Christ and to embrace Christless religion. Oh sure, our culture doesn't use that kind of language, but a close look at what the media is telling you or celebrities are telling you or pop culture is telling you, even some people, even some organizations that call themselves churches, if they are Christless, they are empty. See, nobody cares if we're Christless in our culture, but it hates those of us who want to persevere with Christ. And just like the Hebrews then, we are tempted by Christless religion and and. And, and internally, we too are trying to figure out what to do with our guilt and shame. And, and if we're honest, we want to be culturally comfortable, church. Even here at Mill Creek, where we do expository preaching. Too often, we would rather be comfortable. Too often, you and I, even as professing Christians, we don't want to listen to Christ. Too often, we don't want to listen to 45-minute sermons. Can Pastor, can you please preach something easier than theology about Jesus? It's hard. Can't you just say something every now and then that makes me feel good about myself? For those of you who are members here, I trust you already know this, that the elders and I are committed to saying what God's word says. We're not trying to say more than it says. We're not trying to say less than it says. We're trying to say the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. And we will stick with Christ because he is superior. And here then is the context for this book. That's what Hebrews is speaking into. And as you walk out this morning, then my hope is that you're going to get not only this background, and not only is it going to move more into high definition for you, but I also want you to get the table of contents. I want you to understand how this book is organized because the moment you get this, again, it just goes, ah, there's the picture. Now, for those of you, as we transition then to the table of contents, who are already feeling like, bro, I'm drinking out of fire hydrant right now. Forgive me. Sometimes overview sermons can feel a little bit overwhelming because 
I mean, there are 13 chapters in this thing, and we're going to take a lot of months to come through, but, but I hope you'll take some notes and you'll stick with me, because if you can not only understand the contents, but the table of contents, I trust as you go to Hebrews, perhaps even this week, you'll be able to see what's happening. And by the way, I do intend to pick up the pace a little bit here on point two because I feel like it's bad form to do an introduction on the Sermon of Hebrews and take longer in the introduction than it would just to be the reading of the whole thing. So let's pick it up a bit. Table of contents, lean in with me. Verses one to three, I want you to understand the big ideas happening here because this preacher in his written sermon is gonna cover two main ideas and then an application. And that's what the book of Hebrews is. Like in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, I, I grew up and, and I read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, if you're familiar with that. It's a, it's a popular children's series by C.S. Lewis. And, and, and when I read the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, the first one I read was Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe with those Pavensi kids. You know, uh, there, there's Peter, and then there's Susan, and there's Edmund and Lucy, and I, I just fell in love with those four. And so when I got to the next book, and they weren't quite involved, and as I kept going through the Chronicles of Narnia, I kept thinking, why aren't, uh, those are the main people, where are they? And what I didn't understand until, uh, I'm embarrassed to say, way later in life, it's not entitled the Chronicles of the Pavensi children, because it doesn't track them. For those of you who know this story, the Chronicles of Narnia, the first book actually starts with Narnia being created, and then the very last book of this series is Narnia being destroyed. And then I was like, oh yeah, the Chronicles of Narnia, that, that makes sense. That, once I understood that, I could begin to click it all in. That's what I'm hoping happens here as you understand the two movements that's happening in Hebrews, because in verses 1 to 2a, our author is introducing his first main point of this written sermon. One to two A, God has spoken. If you're taking notes, you might write that down. It can be helpful. There's this contrast. If you look there now, back, we're going into the text. Look there to see how God spoke long ago and today. All right. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Ricky is said he really likes this verse one. It sounds like an introduction to a movie, like a movie trailer. <laughs> Long ago and at many times and in many ways. God spoke. Well, what's important to know is, yeah, God has spoken. We call that the Old Testament. God has spoken. Let everyone know that's happened. And yet in these last days, we have gotten the last word from his son. Okay, God's spoken two different ways, and there's the, there's the contrast. Helping us realize, yeah, God did speak. He spoke through Abraham, and he spoke through King David, and he spoke through Isaiah, and he spoke through Elijah. And all the Old Testament, God has spoken, but for the original audience to know, and now in these last days, Christ has spoken. Which is to say, Jesus Christ isn't just the latest word from God. Because some people believe that, that there's, there's still more coming. Canon's not closed, we're going to hear more. No, no, this guy's saying... Jesus Christ is not the latest word from God. He's the last word from God. God has spoken. God, through Christ, has given us the last word. Now, maybe real quick, you're, you're sitting here going, well, wait, if Christ is the last word, why are we even doing Hebrews? Why don't you just do gospels? Why, why do we preach through all these books? Why don't we just stick with, with the gospels since Christ has spoken? And, and for those of you 
thinking that, understand, the entire New Testament is helping us understand what Christ has said. Every one of the books in our New Testament is, is one of the authors who is there with Jesus saying, and this is how we make sense of the Old Testament. All right, Paul is going, hey, this is how what the Old Testament teaches and what Jesus said, this is how it influences us today. So everything in the New Testament is actually doing this. Like that's why Hebrews is so important. It helps us understand and unpack the last word of Christ, which is why preaching anywhere in the Bible, focusing on Christ, is in alignment with what our biblical authors do. It's, it's exactly like Jesus said in Matthew 5.18, not one iota or dot will pass from the law until it is accomplished. Hebrews is showing us how to connect some of those iotas and dots. See, if you've done a Bible reading plan and you've ever been in the Old Testament, I mean, let's be honest, right? There's times where you're like, say what? <laughs> nope, just me, okay. No, there's a couple of me, okay. What's clear then here is Christ, he is superior. He is superior in every way, and God's people are to listen to Jesus because he is the superior revelation. He's a superior revelation. I'd love for you to write that down. Christ is the superior revelation. We had the Old Testament. We had long ago revelation, but now we have a superior revelation. So again, for those Hebrew church the author is saying, it's not that the Old Testament is bad. It's just we now in Christ understand what all of it's about. So you can't leave Christianity to go back to this old revelation that's Christless. Jesus is superior to that whole Old Testament system. That's his first big idea in this sermon. Here's the second. Listen to what God says. 2B to 3. Our preacher's second big idea Actually, let me time out myself real quick. That, that first idea that God has spoken, that's gonna trace us from chapter one, verse four, to chapter four, 13. In case any of you are thinking to yourself, how does Hebrews work? If you go and you were to read it to yourself, chapter one, four, to four, 13 is all about Jesus is the superior revelation. Superior to angels, superior to Moses, superior to Joshua. He's the one that actually brings us rest. What the author is doing is going, let me show you how Jesus has a better word for us. That's 1-1 one, one to 4-13. His second move here, that Jesus is the superior religious system, takes us from chapter 4-14 all the way to 10-19. And what he's doing in this section is he's now moving to all that Old Testament ceremonial religious system, Jesus is superior to that as well. Look here at verse 2b as we get introduced to Jesus. Our author lays a foundation of seven affirmations of Christ's identity. Hey, look in your text. If, if you've got one of our little journaling Bibles, you might actually circle all of these words, perhaps even number them so that you can see our author using seven, the perfect number, to highlight Jesus, he is heir, if you're tracking with me, right there in your text, he's the heir, he is the creator, number two, he's the radiance, number three, the exact imprint, number four, he is the upholder, number five, he's the purifier, number six, he is the ruler, number seven. For those taking notes, let me do it again. Heir, one. 
Number two, creator. Number three, radiance. Number four, imprint. Number five, upholder. Number six, purifier. Number seven, ruler. And, and I'm listing all of those so that you can go, okay, I, I see what our pastor is doing in this introduction. And, and truth is, we could take seven weeks and we could preach a whole sermon on each one of those qualities and characteristics, but that's not what our preacher is doing. And so while I want you to identify those seven affirmation of Christ's identity, I also want you to know why our author is doing it. See, what's going on is our author is like a good lawyer who is establishing foundation. He is going to be working off all of these qualities of who Jesus is to build his argument that Jesus is not only the superior revelation of God, he is the superior religious system of God. You do not need to return to the Old Testament and follow all of those former shadows of God because in Jesus, we have the supreme one. Look who Jesus is, all seven of those. They're fire. If you haven't written it down, Jesus is superior to the old religious system. And that point will be made from 414 to 1019. Jesus' superiority, perhaps most clearly seen in these three verses, there when it says, having made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Having made purification for sins. Remember in the old religious system, who made purification of sins? Answer is high priest. Let's all say it together. One, two, three. High priest. He made purification for sins. Did you know the high priest never got to sit down? He couldn't sit down. Okay, his, his day started with, man, I'm unholy. I, I got no business doing this. I got to make sacrifice for myself before I go try to make sacrifices for the people. And he's got to go make all those sacrifices and he's got to take like seven baths and wear special white linen undergarments and all that rigmarole. And then he's got to go and God help him, he's got to go do all the sacrifices and he hopes he's done all the ceremony right so that God doesn't smack him down because we have examples in the Old Testament of priests who did not honor God's glory and they got killed for doing wrong by God. So he's sitting there with a trembling heart thinking, man, I got to go do this. And when it's all done, he sacrificed for himself. He sacrificed for his people, but he may have forgot to wash his hands just right or put the wrong clothes on, whatever, whatever it is. He can't sit down because there is more sacrifice that's going to be needed, but not Jesus. Jesus sat down. Jesus sat down, which is the biblical author's way of saying, it's finished. Jesus made purification for sins. Without blood sacrifice, there is no forgiveness of sins. Jesus sat down because it's enough. He is the superior high priest who went in and made the perfect sacrifice, and there's no more needed. Our preacher explaining to his congregation, don't go back to Judaism because Jesus is superior. And this message is so relevant for us today, for whether a person follows some other major world religion, Buddhism, Hinduism, Islam, or whether a person today is a functional Epicurean or Stoic, Hebrews is saying, God has spoken and we are to listen. So don't ignore his word. 
Don't fall for Christless religion. Jesus is the superior revelation of God. He is the superior religious system to get to God. He is the substance. Everything else is shadow. And that's the table of contents. For any of you, though, thinking, well, wait, extra credit. What happens from chapter 10, verse 20 to chapter 13, 25 at the very end of the book? And the answer is, like a good preacher, he's going to apply this sermon. That's what he does. So he's got two points and an application. He even does a benediction at the end. You can find that on your own. There then is context. There then is table of contents. Let me finish with two brief points of application for us today. Church, for us to apply these first three verses, our responsibility is to listen. Chapter 1, 1, God has spoken. Chapter 1, verse 2, God has spoken in Christ. Even take the nature of this book. It is a sermon. It is a sermon that the people of God and that Hebrew church are to listen to. Members of Mill Creek, we must listen. And it's not just you, it's me too. We gotta listen to God. There are shadows in the Old Testament. The substance is in the New Testament. Christ is superior. Christ is not just the latest word from God. He is the last word of God. Listen to him. Jesus Christ is not one way up the mountain. He's the only way up the mountain. Everything else is going to drop you off a cliff. It may smell good. It may sound good. It leads to death. Christ leads you to God. In fact, just in case we get the picture wrong, none of us actually climb the mountain to God. God sent Christ down the mountain to us. Christ put on flesh. He came all the way down the mountain. He came down the mountain to a bunch of broken, sinning haters of him. And he died on the cross for us. He resurrected on the third day and then has invited all at the base of the mountain who want to get to God. He said, come to me. I will carry you to God. That's how we get there. No Christian cruises on up the mountain. Man, I've been working hard if I get to God. Wrong religion, bro. We get to God because of Christ. That's how it works. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I wonder if you would be willing to grant that you are deeply religious. I know that Christians get a bad rap because you guys are so spiritual and so religious, but I would like to suggest that whether you're more Epicurean or whether you're more Stoic or whether you're just some buffet picker of all these different sort of religious systems, I would argue everybody in the world is religious. So you're listening to someone. Whether you're listening to yourself or whether you're listening to some celebrity or listen to God. This is an invitation for you. Don't you want to know the one true God? If what the Bible says is true, it's worth you evaluating because think about it. The Bible says eternity is so long. And if you make this decision wrongly, you will, will suffer the consequences for eternity. So, so take enough time to make sure you are confident in your belief. And at a heart level, aren't you concerned about your mistakes? 
If you're here and you're not a Christian, haven't you ever been concerned like, oh no, what if I'm actually going to get punished for my sin? Dear friend, listen to God. He has, he has spoken. Christ offers forgiveness. Purification for your sins can be found in Jesus. Acts 4.12, there is no other name under heaven or earth by which we can be saved. It's Jesus. Application one, listen. Application two, know. We're to listen, we're to know. You gotta know who Christ is. Even though our world screams that truth is relative and tolerance is essential, know Christ. And even here in the subculture of Christianity, there are times where you and I can feel a little bit like we're having an allergic reaction to theology. But we are to know Christ. Too many Christians prefer motivational TED Talks instead of sermons like Hebrews. God could have had the pastor to those Hebrews write us a TED Talk. He didn't. So we're going to know this thing. Let's reject the trivial milk of children and let's take the steak that God has prepared for us, solid food that mature Christians need. We got to know Christ. Christ, he is the inheritor. He is the creator. He is the reflector of God, the representator of God, the representor of God. Christ, he is our sustainer. He really is our cleanser. He's our ruler, friend. Know this. Christ, he was before all time. He came and broke into time. He's ruling in this time, and Christ will rule for all time. No Christ. He is the substance the Old Testament points to. He is the one who brings forgiveness of sins. He is the one who can actually take your guilt, sin, and shame and resolve it forever. He is the one worth persevering for. He is superior. Listen to Christ and know Christ. Well, that's my heart to help Hebrews become high def for you. May the superiority of Christ begin to reign in all of our hearts. May it anchor us to him. May we reject Christless religion so that one day when we, say, when we see Christ on his throne, he will say to us, you listened to me and you know me. And now, come live with me forever. Amen, church. Let me pray. God, so grateful for for your Bible, grateful for the honor it is to get to study it and preach it. Spirit, only you can take the words of Christ and push them into people's hearts. And so I pray that you would. For those who are lost, save. For those who know you, encourage. For those struggling, give them perseverance and endurance. May we listen and know you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.